Good morning, church. It's probably not a surprise to you for me to tell you this, that uh, one of my goals in life is for people to know that they are loved. I think that's incredibly important, don't you? Imagine, imagine what we could avoid, the pain we could avoid, some of the bad choices that we could have avoided, some of the hectic, busy, hurried lifestyle that we could avoid if we truly knew that we were loved. If we knew deep down in our very core, at the, the core of our being, that we're loved, imagine the calmness we could have. Imagine the peace that we would have if we knew truly that we are loved. And that's why I tell you every single week that I love you, and I do, I love you, but it's not my love that transforms lives. It's his love that transforms lives. And every single time I talk to you, I want to remind you that you are loved. Because knowing that and believing that will absolutely change your life. And we're talking this year all about changing our lives, living very different lives. We're going to start a new series today, and, and as we start this series, I'm reminded of a movie clip that I, I really loved this line from a movie. It was the 2010 version of Karate Kid. I like the 80s version, but the 2010 uh, version of Karate Kid, uh, there was this scene in the movie where the, the young boy, Dre, is, is watching this woman practice some martial arts and, and she's sort of meditating. There's a cobra involved and, and she's being very calm and very still and very quiet. And because she's being calm and still and quiet, the, the cobra is mimicking her movements. And, and the, the young the young boy, Dre, is, is very fascinated by what's going on here. And so he, he asks his teacher, Mr. Han, he says, he says, why is this happening? How is this happening? How is she? He thinks she's sort of controlling the snake. And, and Mr. Han explains what's going on, that because she's so calm and quiet and still, the snake is mimicking her motions. And so Dre says, so she's able to control the snake by doing nothing? And Mr. Han very quickly responds and says, being still and doing nothing are two totally different things. Think about that for a second. Being still and doing nothing are two very different things. This year we're talking all about reflecting and renewing. Reflect and renew. And if that's going to happen in your life, you are going to have to be still. You're going to have to be still. But in our culture, we tend to think that being still is the same as doing nothing. And it's not. It's not. Some of the most important work that you have to do, you are going to have to be still to do it. You're going to have to be calm 
to do it. You're going to have to be quiet to do it. You can't be busy. You can't be hurried. You can't be rushed. In fact, here's a, here's a couple of quotes that I want us to think about as we get started. This first one says, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God or depth and spirit. We would like these. It is just that we are too habitually preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Would you agree with that? We live in an incredibly busy, hurried, rushed world, and we are too busy for God. We, we say we want God in our life. We say we want the Spirit in our life. We say we want renewal. We say we want to follow Jesus. We say we want all of these things, but we are too busy for them. The, the lifestyle of Jesus that we want, we really do want that lifestyle, is one where we have to slow down. Another quote that says, for many, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Man, that is humbling to me. Are we settling for a mediocre version of Christianity? I mean, just think about that phrase for just a second. Are we settling for a mediocre version of Christianity? Jesus offers us life. He says, I give life and I give it more abundantly. If you follow me, I will give you the abundant life. And we say, well, do you have a medium version of that? Can, can, I, can I have just a little bit of that life? You know, because I've got a lot of other things going on, Jesus. I've, I've got to get all of this done, and I've got to do all of these things, and I'm really chasing this, and I'm pursuing that, and I'm really occupied with this, and this is just a season of my life where I'm, I'm super busy. So can I have just a, a little bit of you? And the truth is, it doesn't work like that, does it? There is no genuine, mediocre version of Christianity. I want to walk with Jesus, don't you? I want to walk with Jesus, but we need to slow down if we want to catch up with Jesus. Isn't that true? I mean, you ever been walking with someone and, and you, you're walking so fast that you're leaving them behind you? And in order to catch up with them, you have to slow yourself down? Jesus lived his life at an unhurried pace. Jesus lived his life at a different pace than most of our, us live our lives. And we say, we say we want to walk with him. But if that's true, then we have to slow down in order to catch up with Jesus. 
We have to slow down if we really, truly want to walk with Jesus. I mean, consider this. Consider this, that Jesus only had about three and a half years for his ministry, right? And I I assume that Jesus knew that. I, I assume that Jesus knew about how much time he was going to have and how much time he was going to have to do and accomplish all that he needed to do and accomplish, So from the time that he was baptized until the time that he was crucified, it was only about three and a half years. And you and I know how quickly three and a half years can go by. But Jesus spent, from the time that he was baptized, he spent 40 days in the wilderness, the beginning of his ministry, before he really got busy doing all the things he needed to do. He spent 40 days in the wilderness, and he was calm, and he was quiet, and he was still, and he was alone, but he was not doing nothing. He was doing something incredibly important. So let's look at the text together. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I imagine so, right? You spend 40 days without eating, you would be hungry, right? Jesus was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. I mean, let's, let's just think about that idea for a second. He was hungry. Jesus desired food. Jesus craved food. Jesus needed food food, right? He needed it. He wanted it. He craved it. He desired it. He wanted it on his lips. He wanted it on his tongue. He wanted it in his belly. He wanted food. He needed food. And then the devil comes along and says, well, you have the power to fulfill your desires. You have the power to take this stone and make it into bread. And and when I was a kid, I thought, you know, What would be wrong with that? What would be wrong with that? If you have a craving, if you have a desire, if you have a hunger, if you have a need, if you have a want, and you can get it, and you can get it right now, then get it right now. That's what we all do, isn't it? If you have a hunger or a desire or a craving or a want, and and it's within your grasp to get it, then get it. So what would be wrong with Jesus fulfilling his desires right then and there. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now here's something that we need to understand about this scene of Jesus in the wilderness with the devil being tempted. And every time that Jesus quotes scripture back to him, he's not just pulling random scriptures out of the Old Testament. They all come from the same book, Deuteronomy. And there's a reason that they all come from the book of Deuteronomy, because Jesus is reenacting the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness with his 40 days in the wilderness. And he is showing that he is the true son of God, the true Israel, who is faithful to God and who learned the lessons and knew the truths that Israel didn't really know when they were in the wilderness. And this is one of those lessons that Jesus knew. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. So let's look at that for a second. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. 
And you shall remember the whole way. This is the people of Israel being talked to. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, if you know the story of Israel, and the, what did the people of Israel do when they were in the wilderness? Were they ever hungry? Yes, they were hungry. And, and, and when did they want to be fed? Right now, right? Right now. And they complained every single step of the way. Complained and complained and complained. Why? Because they're like me. They're like you. And I have a want. I have a desire. I have a craving. I have a hunger. And when I have a craving and a desire and a hunger and a want, I want it to be fulfilled right now. And how dare you not give me what I want right now? And so they complained and they didn't Trust God in the wilderness. Jesus, by contrast, is trusting his Father. Look at verse 3 of Deuteronomy 8. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. If you're not familiar with the story of Israel in the wilderness, the manna was this flaky substance that was kind of all over the ground. And the word manna means, what is it? What is it? And they didn't know what it was. And the, Moses tells them, he fed you with, he, he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Israel had to learn the lesson that you do not live by simply having your wants fulfilled. You do not live by merely having your desires met. You do not live by merely having your belly filled. But we tend to think that you do, don't we? We tend to think that if I, if I just had this craving fulfilled, if I just had this desire met, if I just had this hunger satisfied, I'm hungry for something, I want something, I desire something, and if I could just get that thing right now, then I would really live. And God wanted his people to know, you do not live by bread alone. You live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And Jesus is demonstrating that he knows that. That his life is not sustained by bread alone, but by the word of the Lord. So let me ask you this question. What hunger or hungers are you tempted to stay busy trying to satisfy? What hungers are we busy trying to satisfy? Because we want our hunger satisfied right now. And if we think that it's within our grasp to get it, I'm going to get that bread. And I'm, I'm going to satisfy my hunger right now. Rather than patiently, calmly, with long-suffering, with perseverance, waiting on the Lord. Whether it's 40 days or 40 years, I will wait for the word of the Lord. 
Rather than taking what I want and getting what I want and chasing what I want and making what I want, if rather than pursuing and being busy and restless, I will wait for the Lord. So what is it? What are your hungers? Maybe it's love and romance and companionship. Again, again, imagine if you, if you really knew that you were loved by God. How many of us, if we really knew and believed that we were loved by God, could we be more patient about pursuing other types of relationships? Or maybe it's financial success or achievement or recognition in our career or whatever the case may be. Or maybe it's pleasure or entertainment or recreation. I mean, all of these things, we have a hunger for things like this, don't we? And for many of these things, we have a need for these things. A desire, a craving, even a need. But you do not live by any of these alone. You do not live by bread alone. You don't live by romance alone. You don't live by companionship alone. You don't live by financial success alone. I understand you you have to have money. I get it. I understand you have to have relationships. I get it. But how much of our life do we spend just busy, relentlessly, desperately chasing instant gratification? I have to have this hunger satisfied right now. Jesus understood what Israel needed to understand. You do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And I need to remember that. I do not live by any of these things alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus was surely hungry, but he wasn't hurried. He he was eventually going to eat, wasn't he? He was eventually going to have bread, but not right then. He was going to wait for the Lord. Keep reading, verse 5 of Luke chapter 4. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this, all this what? I will give all this what, church? Authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me and I'll give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. You remember what the last thing Jesus told his disciples was? That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He had all side of the cross. Satan, it seems, is offering Jesus the opportunity to have the authority now, offering him a shortcut. You you don't need to go through all that pain. You don't need to go through all that suffering. You, You don't have to die. I'll give you the authority right now. All you have to do is worship me. I'll give you a shortcut to all the things that you want anyway, to all the things you're desiring anyway. I'll give you a shortcut, and you don't have to go through all the pain and suffering. And that's what the world always offers to us, isn't it? That's what Satan is always offering to us. And that's so many times what we want. We want a shortcut. I want all the stuff that I want, but I don't want to have to wait for it. And I certainly don't want to have to suffer. And I don't want to go through anything difficult. And I don't want to be challenged. I want it, and I want it right now. I don't want to have to die to get it. 
And that's what Satan is offering him. Listen to how Jesus responds, verse 8. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, Jesus takes the conversation back to Israel in the wilderness. Do you remember what one of the first things that Israel did that was wrong was? They, they worshipped a golden calf. They made another god. Why? Because they were being impatient. Moses went up onto the mountain, and they said, after, I don't know, five minutes, they were like, I don't know if he's coming back or not. I don't know what happened to that guy. Let's make another god, and let's worship this god. And we'll say this calf is the one that brought us out of Egypt. Impatience. Impatience. And God told his people from the very beginning, do not have any other gods. Do not worship any other gods. Worship me. Serve me. And so much of worship is waiting. So much of worship is waiting. Who are you waiting on? When we worship God, what we're saying is, I trust you, God. I trust you to take care of me. I trust you to satisfy my wants and my desires and my needs. I have these needs and they're real needs. I have these desires and they're real desires. My heart is longing for this, but I trust you. Satan, the world, our flesh will always offer us a shortcut and say, oh, you can have your cravings, and you can have your desires, and you can have your hungers met. Just worship this thing. Just worship that thing. Just serve this thing. And then you, you'll have all of that without any of the suffering, without any of the waiting, without any of the hurting. You'll have all of these things. And Jesus knew what Israel needed to know. I will worship and serve the Lord my God and him only. I will serve no other. I will love no other. I will worship no other. I will wait for him. Worship is about patience. Look at verse 9. And Jesus, or rather Satan, took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Again, Jesus takes the conversation back to the wilderness and says, I will not put the Lord my God to the test. That's exactly what Israel did, isn't it? Israel put God to the test, specifically in the event that they wanted water. They wanted water. In fact, there, there was a place where God eventually gave them water. It's called Massah, and Massah means testing because they put God to the test. Essentially, they were saying to God, hey, you brought us out of Egypt, and you say you love us, you say we're your people, but we're thirsty, and we don't have any water to drink. And if you really loved us, you would give us water, and you would give us water right now. And God is frustrated with his people because they put him to the test. 
They didn't believe that God really did love them. Love them. He, they didn't believe that God really was going to provide for them and take care of them. They put him to the test. How often do we do that? How often do we say, God, if you really love me, you'll fix this situation right now. I'm hungry, God. I'm thirsty, God. I have this craving, God. I have this desire, God. I have this need, God. And if you really loved me, you'd fix it right now. Jesus says, I'm not going to put my God to the test. I'm not going to test him because I know he loves me. I don't have to throw myself off of the temple in order to know that he loves me. I know he loves me. I know he will raise me up. I know he'll take care of me. I do not have to test him. How many times do we get into a difficult uncomfortable, painful situation, sometimes of our own doing, sometimes not. And we say to God, God, if you really loved me, you would fix this right now. You would change this situation right now. You would help me right now. Following Jesus means not being in a hurry to have your hunger Satisfied, your thirst quenched, your goals achieved, your expectations met, or your desires fulfilled. Now, it doesn't mean that none of those things will happen. In fact, quite the opposite is told to us. The people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. God, God wants to keep his promises to you. But this is what hope is all about. Hope is all about. is knowing that I don't have my hunger satisfied today. I don't have my thirst quenched today. I don't have my goals achieved today. I don't have my expectations met today. I don't have my desires fulfilled today. But God has made promises to me and God keeps his promises. Now, there's a very good chance that it's on the other side of the grave and that it's when Jesus raises me from the dead. But I'm going to live forever, like literally forever. And all the things that I didn't even think to wish for, that I didn't even think to hope for, that I didn't even think to desire, God is going to bless his people with all the good things. He's going to make everything right. And trusting Jesus, walking with Jesus, following Jesus means being okay with things not being okay today because I know they will be forever. Forever. This is what hope is all about. And when we have this hope, well, those who have hope don't need to hurry. Isn't that reassuring? Those who have hope, who know eventually everything is going to be set right. Doesn't mean that we deny having that need or that craving or that desire. It's just, it's just knowing that God is going to set everything right eventually. And I can be okay today in light of that future that reality. That's what hope is all about. 
It's knowing that I can have peace today. I can have contentment today. I can be okay today with things not really being okay because I know, I know who holds the future. I know, I know what forever is going to be like. And those who have this hope, this hope in Christ, don't have to hurry through life. We can walk with Jesus at an unhurried pace. That's my encouragement for all of us today, is hope in Christ. I, I, know, I know there are things we want. I know there are things we desire. I know there are things we crave. Some of those things are good things. Some of those probably are not good things, and our cravings need to change. But all the good things that we crave and desire and want, even the good things that we need, God is going to set everything right. And when you know deep down in your soul that you are loved and cared for and that this future in Christ belongs to you, then you can live today with peace and contentment and you don't have to rush through life. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready to turn it all over to Jesus, to slow down in order to catch up with him, to be baptized into Christ, to surrender everything to him and begin your life trusting in him. Or maybe you've already made that decision and you need to recommit yourself to that. Or maybe you just need help and prayers with some of the burdens you're carrying. Whatever it is, our shepherds would love to visit with you in the prayer room after service or you can come forward now. As together we stand and sing this song.